Welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life podcast, providing the simple answers to the complex questions asked about your financial future. Let's get you the answers you need about retirement, investing, asset planning, and the current market. Here's your host, Julian Rubenstein. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. My name is Julian Rubenstein. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the president of American Asset Management a registered investment advisor located in Boca Raton. Today, I'm very happy and excited to have on our show, Matt Cohen, who chairs the corporate business transactions of Diversity, Payne, Shaw & Lewins as our guest today. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian, happy to be here. Um, I know we talked a little bit earlier, but how about you uh, fill our audience in a little bit about yourself and how you got started? Yeah, sure, uh, so great to be on. Appreciate you having me. As Julian mentioned, I'm Matt Cohen. I chair the corporate and business transactions practice at Zabersky Payne Shaw Lewins in Fort Lauderdale. My practice is sort of everything that does not involve the courtroom, I like to say. So the folks who handle the litigation going to court, uh, they're across the hall. On this side of the building, we do everything involving the boardroom. So that would be everything from uh, your basic contract negotiation to forming your company, uh, advice once you have a company going, employment issues, contracts with vendors, uh, but the meat and bones of the practice is what I like to refer to as like financing activity. So that would be anything from uh, a startup seeking an investment or uh, on the other side, an investor looking to invest in a uh, in a company. I do a lot of mergers and acquisitions activities. So whether your company is buying another, attempting to merge with another, or you're looking to sell, we'll do a lot of that work as well. And my clients include both business owners and entrepreneurs, as well as uh, investors funds, whether that's private equity, venture capital, you name it. Uh, and it's really industry agnostic. So we've done everything from very high technology stuff involving fintech, uh, even cryptocurrency, blockchain, through brick and mortar, manufacturing and services businesses, uh, all the way to real estate, which is obviously very popular here in South Florida. Uh, so it's a really wide ranging practice and any sort of deal or, uh, or, or contract negotiation you may have, we would be delighted to help. What have you done in Bitcoin just, or crypto? Just curious. Yeah, I happen to have been one of the first uh, crypto lawyers in the U.S. for a time. So to give you some background, I had a very small Bitcoin mining company in 2011, which oh, I sold way too early. What was uh, Bitcoin but, at in 2011? What's that? What was Bitcoin selling for at 11, in 11? I, gosh, probably like about $1,000, something okay. like that. Um, maybe, maybe less, I think, uh, maybe closer. Yeah. Probably somewhere between a couple thousand bucks, maybe down to, down to the couple hundred. I can't even remember. I was involved in that industry for a, a r really early on where there wasn't even a price for, for Bitcoin, you know, really in the, in the early days. In any event, I had a very small mining operation, which I, I sold well before uh, things got going. Uh, I was also happened to be in the room when, uh, these guys announced that they're going to build something called Ethereum. So this has been a passion project of me for of mine for a long time. I uh, I represented everybody from protocol developers who are attempting to create new blockchains, launch new uh, new cryptocurrencies through exchanges and setting those things up throughout the world. I have represented service providers, investors, funds, you name it. Have done quite a lot in uh, in that space and have engaged with regulators. I've engaged with governments both uh, domestically and abroad. So it's been sort of a very interesting adventure in that industry over the years and watching it uh, expand to what it has become. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you can't call crypto, can't say it's not real because people collect baseball cards, right? And baseball cards have no value. 
Um, so you can't, I don't think it's right to say that it has no value, but I don't see how it ever becomes a currency like people try to think, right? Well, I see, I think cryptocurrency the, or the moniker crypto is not a monolith, right? I think each of these assets have their own benefits and attributes that make them behave differently from one another. So I would agree with you that many of these things are probably not good currency. I'll give you Bitcoin as an example. I view Bitcoin more as digital gold, right? Gold is an excellent store of value, not the best medium of exchange. Gold is hard to carry around. You know, it weighs a lot, but it, it tends to hold its value and it's accepted by lots of different places for uh, for that value. Bitcoin is very much the same thing. It's a little bit easier to store, easier to hold, easier to carry around, but it does take some time to transact in it just like gold does. Uh, something like Ethereum, for example, I view more like, you know, the gasoline to run the world computer or the electricity to run the world computer. You're basically using these Ether tokens as gas to run a smart contract. So, you know, think of that as sort of like a resource that gets consumed to perform these computational functions on the blockchain. Then there's everything in between. So like stable coins like Tether or USDT, those are a true cryptocurrency in the sense that they are excellent media of exchange and uh, and maybe, you know, not necessarily should be viewed with the same sort of uh, analysis or, or under the same lens as the uh, other two assets that I mentioned. Yeah, but I always thought, I looked at stable coins as really a scam, right? I, at least to me, I mean, they raised what, trillions of dollars or some silly number. And people believe that it's pegged to the dollar when it isn't, right? And they're getting some crazy interest rates. I mean, you know, the few that imploded, I mean, you, you had to say, of course they were going to implode. Well, a nuance here, right? So you have algorithmic stable coins and you have asset-backed stable coins. The asset-backed stable coins have been, despite controversy in the media, relatively reliable and free from controversy. These are, are coins that are backed one for one by some sort of reserve, whether it's cash, property, commercial paper, you name it. That would be things like Tether, USDT, USDC, right? Uh, true uh, asset-backed stable coins. That's very different from the algorithmic stable coins. That would be things like Terra and Luna, which you heard, uh, you know, massively blow up after some controversy. So, look, all this stuff is very new. Nobody should be putting their entire nest egg into any sort of cryptocurrency. That's probably sound advice you would give your clients. But uh, I think it's totally fair at this point uh, to consider this stuff for real. You have to do your own research and you certainly need to be uh, up to speed with how the technology works and what the risks are. But they're, you know, if compared to sending a wire transfer on SWIFT, transacting in a stablecoin is far superior, instantaneous, much easier, 24 hours a day, limited fees. Unlike I just sent a wire this morning, you know, maybe it'll clear in three days. I'll probably have to field 17 phone calls by the sending and the receiving bank to confirm it. It, uh, you know, we've, you've got to wait for business hours to do it. And, uh, and so, you know, it's a real, there are a lot of real improvements on infrastructure here. But certainly there's in any new or nascent industry, there's going to be bad actors. There are going to be experiments that uh, that don't pan out. But uh, but there's also going to be a lot of success, just like the dot com bubble. You know, that industry expanded a lot, contracted significantly. And now some of the most impactful companies in the world uh, are what they are because they survived. And it'll be no different with cryptocurrency. Now, what, what do you use a stablecoin for? What's the purpose of a stablecoin? To transact primarily, the thought here is it's just an improvement on sort of the the medium of exchange. It's very hard, I think, to transact and buy goods and services with crypto when the values fluctuate so significantly, right? You have issues with pegging the value at the time of the transaction. There's taxation issues. 
uh, all sorts of complications. When you have something that really doesn't fluctuate much more than a dollar, plus or minus a couple of cents, it becomes a lot easier to to transact between individuals on a peer-to-peer basis when uh, when you have a instant, near instantaneous, relatively uh, stable in value instrument, and and so that I think is the promise of of these stable coins. Right. So you buy stable coins with cash, right? With real money. With cash or with cryptocurrency. Okay. Yeah. And then what do you what do you do with the stable coin at that point? So in practice today, a lot of these stable coins are really used in, in connection with speculation. So they're used in in sort of the the exchanges where crypto assets are traded. There is some difficulty with fiat currency on ramps and off ramps, meaning it's difficult to get cash in. It can be difficult sometimes to get cash right. out. Right. And uh, and so a lot of these stable coins are used to sort of move money around in connection with the speculation activity. But they're also used for all sorts of things. So, for example, we have set up uh, a number of investment funds where the limited partners would subscribe in utilizing uh, stable coins. We've done real estate deals where the uh, preferred return, the distribution would be paid uh, programmatically and automatically with stable coins. I've seen insurance contracts where risk premiums were paid out utilizing stable coins. So really any type of transaction where one person or entity wants to pay another person or entity, uh, perfectly viable to uh, to utilize a stable coin, you know, in addition to or in lieu of a wire transfer. Right. See, I thought they were used primarily to buy crypto. I think if this, if you were to run a study, I think you'd find that that is probably the uh, majority, maybe the vast majority of the activity. But it's certainly not exclusive by any means. Right, because I guess today, I mean, to transfer money to Coinbase and then buy it's and then buy crypto, it's it's been a very involved process. You're saying you, if you just already if you send money to Coinbase by stable coins, then you can use it to buy and sell all day long. And you're yeah, earning- I mean, so I think it, Coinbase is pretty reliable. You know, they're regulated at this point. Many uh, banks know them, so I, I suspect you can probably you know get a wire transfer, an ACH transfer into Coinbase or Gemini or one of these main uh, exchanges fairly easily. But yeah, certainly you're subject to the same uh, challenges that everyone's sending a wire is. If you want to get money in there uh, at 8 p.m. on a Friday, good luck. You got to wait till 8 a.m. on Monday, right? With a stable coin, you could over the weekend get that money in there and do whatever type of trading activ- activity you'd like to do. So, you know, positives and, and negatives. There's trade-offs uh, with all the technologies. Right. Just for a disclaimer, because my own clients listen to the show. I'm not suggesting that you should buy any of these things. Just as as their investment advisor, I need to say that if you're interested, call me. But this is not something you do on your own for sure. That's just a little good to get uh, to get advice. And I always say, speak with a professional who's knowledgeable. Do your own research. There's lots of of scams out there. And the thing you got to be worried about is remember, this is peer to peer decentralized technology. If you get ripped off in connection with a wire transfer, there's always a possibility if you call a bank, you could get that thing reversed. Not always, but many times. You can you can make that happen. There's nobody to call if someone steals your Bitcoin. Right. And so you do need to be extremely cautious. You need to really do your research, become knowledgeable on how to safely store this stuff, become knowledgeable about the the manner in which uh, the attack vectors come by the people who tend to do, you know, do bad things with in connection with scams or theft. So do your own research, but uh, extremely interesting area. And I think probably only something that is going to become more prolific and uh, more a part of, of our everyday financial parlance as time goes on. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. So what is something that when you your clients that you share with most all of your clients, what's one pearl of wisdom that you give them all? Uh, so 
One pearl of wisdom, I guess, is slow down and think. You know, the way that my practice develops is I usually see people when they're on the cusp of some major, major deal. Either this is they're selling a company that they've ran for several years or they're about to make a, a big investment or they're about to sign on a huge client or maybe they're going to sign up with a big vendor to try to do some sort of uh, expansion in services or maybe they're soliciting a big investment from you know a private equity firm or a venture capital firm and that has, comes with all sorts of consequences, right? And so I, I always tell my clients, time kills all deals. You've got to absolutely try to get these things done as quickly as reasonably possible, right? But you should not do that to your own detriment. And what I mean by that is let's take a minute, slow down and think, what is the risk here that we're, that we're walking into? Is there going to be a tax problem? Is there a more optimal way that we can structure this to both protect you and ensure that you get to keep and utilize as much of the, the money or the investment or, or the, the profit that you've got, right? So it, these things are extremely complicated. Take a moment, deep breath, slow down to think, and let's look at this from all angles, see if we can be creative. You know, I, my daughter is um, in law school and she's just started from her internship at Latham. So oh, she, nice. did her, she did her first deal and it closed at 530 in the morning. And they had they were doing a, um, a press release at 630 a.m. And she goes, Dad, why does it always go to the last minute? And I said, I have to tell you, every deal I've done always goes to the last minute. It's unbelievable. Yeah, never fails. You know, it's very it's unusual to get a deal that will close on, you know, before 5 p.m. on a Friday. It, it's always a scramble. And that's because commerce is complicated in, in this day and age. You know, uh, there's just not a lot that's cut and dry, particularly when lawyers get involved. And as much as we would like to simplify for our clients, the simple fact is we agree to things contractually throughout our day that we don't even appreciate. You know, every time you buy a piece of software for your business, you agree to terms and conditions. Every time you lease a copier or a piece of equipment, a vehicle, a backhoe, uh, your phones or your computers, you're agreeing to a bunch of contractual obligations. And that may have some impact when you're trying to take on investment, sell the company, onboard some client or or sign up with a with another vendor. And it does take time to review all that. And it does take uh, a little bit of analysis and creativity to ensure that you can do whatever you want to do in a, in a manner that's not going to land you in court or wind up, make you wind up in a, in a poor situation that you didn't anticipate. Right. Absolutely. So what is something that you know now that you wish you knew when you started? <sighs> Let me think, man, if the, the list is so long that uh, I'm going to have to struggle to pick just one. But I, I think the answer to that would be to make sure that expectations are aligned before you get too far down a process. And what I mean by that is the we'll take a transaction, a merger or an acquisition, for for example, or a real estate deal, right? A lot of folks will talk with a with a, an individual, a seller and a buyer. They'll shake hands. They say we've got it. We've got a deal, and they may have agreed on the main things: price, timing, amount, type of consideration, etc. However, if you've done several of these before, or if you talk to a professional like a lawyer or a banker or an advisor, they may be able to tell you, hey, you know, there's a little bit more that maybe we should think about before we start marching down this road because the worst thing that can happen is we have an expectation that we're gonna do a deal. We hire bankers, accountants, lawyers, for and for 30, 45 days, we're all hard charging, trying to get these agreements in order, trying to get all these documents ready together to close this deal. Then we get to the closing table to find out someone didn't mention uh, that there's a non-compete that attaches to this. or Someone didn't mention that there is some quirk about the way we're handling working capital, which either reduces or expands the purchase price, or there's an exclusivity provision in this agreement 
that may curtail somebody's ability to do future business. So speaking to a professional, as before you sort of assign on the dotted line can be really helpful. And and I think that it's helpful not just because they're going to catch something that you missed or protect you from some crazy risk, but they can, if they've been to that fire before, so to speak, they can alert you to what are the things that people in commerce customarily would address so that we can ensure that expectations are aligned and there's not and there's always a surprise here or there. We can try to limit the amount of surprises that come up after everybody is knee deep in this thing uh, with advisors on retainer, et cetera. Got it. So uh, what drew you to this uh, part of the law? I have always been interested in the deal-making aspect of, of commerce, I guess. I started my career as a litigator. I was doing some interesting technology and telecom type litigation and uh, super interesting, definitely was the type of stuff you learned in law school, but I was exposed pretty early on to uh, representing a handful of startups, tech startups in, in Miami, right before our, our little tech boom uh, over the last several years. And I just really found it electrifying. I think it's incredible to see entrepreneurs at work. I think you can learn so much about executing an idea from watching these people. I love facilitating investments in these companies because you can sometimes receive investments from folks who have built several incredible and substantial, really history-changing companies and get their wisdom on your board of directors. You can sort of be a fly on the wall in all these situations. There's really no better way. I've done deals on everything from the manufacturing of special types of pumps to be used in naval ships, all the way through things that go into outer space and everything in between from like pest control to ads that run on the internet. And uh, and I consider myself somewhat knowledgeable in all these industries because I've had the benefit of learning these companies from the inside out as part of our due diligence, seeing where the pain points are, seeing where they're incredibly successful, seeing who runs them good and who runs them bad and why. It, uh, it's really just uh, been an incredible ride and, and every day is fascinating if you're into that sort of thing. Okay, that's very interesting. So there's lots of deal lawyers out there. What what is your unique approach that separates you from the from the competition? Yeah, I would say we are pragmatic deal makers here. So what you'll find in the world is there are these huge firms who are incredibly adept at papering up, you know, multi-billion, trillion-dollar deals. That's not really where where we focus. We tend to be in the middle market and servicing small and medium-sized businesses. And so what that means is this is not. Uh, like I said, billion dollar publicly traded companies that we've done several of those over the years. This is often people who have built a business over their uh, their lives or the substantial part of their career or people who are looking to get out of the nine to five and acquire a business or professional investors who run large, you know, private equity or venture capital funds. The, the, the benefit to working with us is we've got people here who have trained up on the largest, most complex deals in the world, uh, have encountered every issue you can possibly uh, thing to encounter. And over the years, and with that experience, we've been able to identify, you know, what is really the brass tacks here? And what you'll find in the marketplace is there are deal lawyers out there who think it's their job to spot every little issue and bring up every little problem and try to address every little thing. I will certainly alert you to those things, but I will often give you some practical advice, which is, hey, look, is this a risk? Yeah. Is it practically something you need to tank the deal over? Probably not, right? And that advice is hard to come by, because it, it is only something that can be given with enough experience over a vast different type of, of different types of transactions and uh, and takes sort of a, I guess, more of an art than a science approach uh, in really understanding how commerce functions. 
So, you know, this is this is not the kind of place you go if you need uh, millions and millions of reams of paper for your deal just because you feel that that uh, makes makes you look sophisticated. We're here for practical, quick, efficient deal making and uh, and protecting whoever's interests is uh, is being represented by the firm in, in that regard. Got it. So um, with all the success you've had, what's your biggest challenge professionally? Yeah, the, the the biggest challenge, honestly, is is always going to be keeping up with the times. So I, you know, I had mentioned that I have this sort of pet cottage industry cryptocurrency practice. That industry, case in point, is when I got in that in 2011, there were three crypto cryptocurrencies or two cryptocurrencies at the time. The only one that mattered was Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I, honestly, maybe 2011, Bitcoin was probably the only one. Over the years, you you know, you wound up with Litecoin, Ripple. There were some other ones in between. Uh, but no the point is. Whatever that industry was then, that's not what it is now. There was no DeFi. There were no NFTs back in those days. And so uh, understanding how to keep tabs with technology, and that it really applies to anything. Facebook is not what it was back when it launched. Amazon is not a bookstore anymore, right? So right. you as an attorney, you need to grow with your clients. You need to grow, grow with the industries that your clients are in so that you can give the most effective advice whenever something comes up. Okay. That's the biggest challenge. Well, is there anything you'd like to share that I, we didn't talk about? I think uh, we covered a pretty wide range of topics here. I think in terms of of what I'd like to share, I'll I'll give you this, is I've noticed an interesting trend, and this is something you may see with with your clientele as well, which is there is this movement of everyday people who are looking to enjoy some of the benefits of a lifestyle that private equity and venture capital uh, investors are perceived to enjoy. not saying they all enjoy it, but they're perceived to, to enjoy it. So I'm seeing this incredible trend of folks like myself who are working normal W-2 jobs, uh, your clientele who are uh, you know working their whole lives, saving money, uh, diligently going about their finances, they're saying, hey, I want to change something up. I'm going to go buy a business, a small or medium-sized business, or I'm going to I'm going to go uh, invest in a franchise, which is something we talked about off the off the air. And uh, I'm noticing this steep, steep trend of normal people engaging in this activity. And so the one thing that I will share is. I encourage everyone to explore this. There are a number of interesting opportunities to do this and to change your life and change your financial position so that uh, you know their amount of money that you're managing, Julian, is uh, is significantly increasing. And uh, and I think that the the world is sort of the deal making is no longer just for the extremely rich or for the extremely well connected or for the professional investor class. This is now for everybody. And I would just encourage anyone if you're looking to sell your business after a long period of time, if you're looking to invest in a business or to buy a business or to, to engage in some type of franchise opportunity. Don't do it alone. It's extremely reasonable to hire a counsel like ourselves. We've got all the right people to know, uh, whether it's you, Julian, to manage the money after they sell and things are going really well in their lives, whether it's uh, an account to help them get the books together and do an analysis, and whether it's our team to assist them on the negotiation and the closing of the deal. I encourage everyone to, to explore this road to go down it, reach out anytime. If we can help, I'd be happy to talk it through with you. And uh, and we would be delighted to assist anybody who is uh, is undertaking that journey in their life. Great. On that note, what's the best way for the listeners to uh, contact you? So you can find me on our website. It's zpllp.com. That's uh, the initials of, of the firm. My name is Matt Cohen. That's K-O-H-E-N. And, uh, and if you come to our website, you'll find my phone number. You'll find my email address reach out in time and uh, and I encourage everyone to do so. We'd love to talk to you. Even if you don't have a deal on the table or you're thinking about it, uh, reach out. We love to talk. We'll keep you apprised of all the 
educational uh, events that we host and, and the different materials we put out that may help you in, uh, in whatever uh, your challenge you're facing. And, uh, and I, I think that, you know, anyone who's sort of in or around the orbit of, uh, of a potential transaction, whether it's real estate or an operating business, give us a visit, follow us on social media, Zabersky Payne, Shalowens, ZPLLP.com. We would be uh, thrilled to chat with you. Okay. Well, I appreciate everything that you said. It was a great uh, podcast for me. I learned a lot and I look forward to having you back on the show. Yeah. Likewise, Julian. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. For more information about today's topics, please visit or check the show notes for more important information and links. Share, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.